Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Jennifer Leong Loik, a 2004 graduate from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. In this episode, you'll learn how Jen's desire to get out of Chicago, combined with a drive for financial freedom and an interest in service, led her to choose the Academy, and how her openness and willingness to listen to those around her guided her on a path that informed her decision to join the pistol team, pursue an ops research major, pursue a position in Alaska, and ultimately start her own defense contracting company. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? So I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, and I went to the Coast Guard Academy and I graduated in 2004. Can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? I am a Coast Guard Reservist, and I am also um, co-owner and CEO of a small defense contracting company. Nice. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college, uh, what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose the United States Coast Guard Academy? So I, I, I can't remember when in high school my parents told me, but they told basically me and my sisters that they could not afford to send all three of us to college. At most, they could probably pay for two years of our college. So I started to think, okay, well, what could I do? At the time, you know, being a teenager and all, I really, really wanted to do things my way. And I knew that if my parents paid for even two years of the college, they still have control over what I do or don't do um, because they're paying for it. So I was pretty dead set on looking for something that, that would essentially finance all four years of my college and so at a career fair at a local high school um, there was a military section there and I kind of just walked through that entire section and grabbed the brochures to all of the services and I get to the end which is where the Coast Guard um, section was and I thought hey this is different this is kind of a different um, it looked like a very different setup and I started to talk to the recruiter over there and he told us about the missions and what they do in search and rescue. And that was pretty exciting because at the time I was a lifeguard. And so, you know, I'm, I was so proud of, of everything that I did to become a lifeguard. Um, I thought, wow, you can, you know, you can save people for a living. Um, that's kind of cool. So I talked to the, to the recruiter for quite some time about, you know, how awesome that stuff is. And, uh, and he, and he kind of looked at me and he said, you know, you sound, you sound kind of smart. You might want to consider the Coast Guard Academy instead of, you know, enlisting because, because you could get a degree, you know, paid for and you get to do this stuff. And I'd never heard of that before. And so I just took every single brochure and flyer he had and, um, and I took it home. And so when I got home, I dumped all of those flyers and brochures on my bed and bedroom floor and eventually ended up throwing away all 
all of it with the exception of everything that was about the Coast Guard. So I kind of sifted through all of that and I decided my junior year in, you know, in, in high school that I'm going to do everything I can to get into the Coast Guard Academy. So tell me a little bit more about that. What, because you went over to an area with all the military stuff. So um, what was it about the Coast Guard specifically that seemed so different to you? Understanding my mindset at the time, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm a newly minted lifeguard um, and I was really proud of how, you know, how, how I, you know, became a really strong swimmer and, you know, passed the rigorous Chicago Park District, um, you know, hurdles that you had to get through to become a lifeguard. It, it was pretty tough. Um, it, it was the only thing that they had over there that, that, I, that I could kind of resonate with. Um, I had a hard time kind of connecting with, with the DOD services because I mean, going to war and, and fighting, you know, great battles wasn't just, wasn't anything that, that I could relate to um, at the time. I remember looking at kind of the display and, you know, I saw a lot of like environmental stuff, like with animals and things like that. And because we, you know, we work very closely with fish and wildlife, um, especially with the oil spills. You know, we're kind of in the news about that a lot. But at the time, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know. But I did know that at the time, one of my favorite classes in high school was marine biology. Mm. Um, in fact, I had a, I had a, I was accepted into a kind of like an honors program at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago at that time. And so I was really into marine life and marine biology and all that stuff. So I thought that, hey, I can, the search and rescue stuff is really cool. They have a marine science major, whatever that was. I didn't even know at the time what that was about. It kind of sounded like marine biology. So I thought, this is perfect. This is, this is for me, you know, like this is what, um, this is what I want to do. And so, so I kind of, you know, I looked through all that stuff and, and uh, I told my parents and (laughs) My dad probably said the funniest thing when, when I told him that when I told him that I wanted to apply to the academy. And he looked at me and goes, You do realize that that is a military service. And mm. you don't like people telling you what to do. <laughs> so, so you might want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, okay. So did you even consider the other academies? I didn't even know they existed at the time. Wow. I was so hyper-focused on the Coast Guard. Um, I, he- I, I guess I had heard, you know, that maybe they had one, but I didn't really, I didn't really investigate because I was so sure that what the Coast Guard did was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. It really sounds like it checked all the boxes for you and it like, it, you know, it was as free education. It resonated with you, except for that one minor thing that your dad pointed out <laughs> that you would be uh, in a military system. So how did you rectify that in your head when you found out that it was like military and you don't like being told what to do? So I didn't really make the connection because the only other person in my family that was in the military 
was my grandfather, and he was in the Army Air Corps during World War II. And um, unfortunately, he passed away when I was six, so I never got to talk to him about the military. And, you know, I, I grew up as a second-generation Chinese immigrants. Um, my, you know, my, my grandparents came to the country, and then my, well, my dad was born in Chicago, and, and my mom was born in Cuba. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of, we, we didn't really, we didn't, we're not really from here. So that rich American history and military is just not really in our family. I mean, I, you know, I used to say that I I'm, was the first in my family to join the military by choice. Mm. So, um, so I was kind of just jumping in and I guess, I guess I was just so enamored with the idea that here's my chance to leave Chicago and to be on my own financially and, you know, just everything. I get to make my own decisions and do what I'd like to do with my, you know, with, with where I'm going with my life that I just didn't pay attention to that, to what my dad was saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you go and visit the Coast Guard Academy? I did not. In fact, I, I was flat out rejected by the AIM program. Okay, so the AIM program is that summer seminar where you go and you get kind of like a taste of the Coast Guard Academy. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay, so you got rejected by that. Did you try to do your own visit there or? No, I mean, you know, we're, we, my, my parents didn't have the money um, to, you know, to, to fly out there. Um, the only way we could have done it was if I got accepted to AIM and I didn't get accepted. And, and actually, just so you know, I didn't apply to the class of 2004. I applied to the class of 2003. Okay. Okay. So yeah. tell me more about that. So that was the year that I applied for. And I was outright rejected that, that year. And, and I kind of knew, I mean, I knew that I got a sense from the interview that I was not somebody that they had really wanted. And because when, because during that interview, I, I think I was interviewed by an auxiliarist and I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure, but I, I remember they were asking me questions of, you know, what, what do core values mean to you? What does honor mean to you? And I'm like, those are not, things that we talk about at home and those are not things that a normal normal high school student talks about from in inner city Chicago so I had a hard time answering those questions because I'd never thought about it and it wasn't until I started you know afterwards um all these big words that they were asking I, I started looking them up in the dictionary because and you know at the time we didn't have google so I couldn't google it but, you know, I started to realize, I'm like, wow, I really don't know anything. Um, and so, so I kind of knew that, you know, because I couldn't answer those questions, maybe I wasn't going to be, maybe I wasn't going to get in. Um, I also remember at the end of that interview, this was probably the most hurtful thing that had happened was during that interview, um, towards the end, the lady that was interviewing me, she said, she said to me, she's like, well, you do know that, that the academy is hard. A career as an officer is very hard. It's, you know, it's an up or out system. 
and you do understand that you you have to compete and that's the only way you're going to make it right and i said um you know i i didn't really know what to say to that but you know she was i felt like she was trying to intimidate me um to keep mm -hmm. from you know pressing forward with it and you know i i remember hanging up from that call and thinking wow what did i do <laughs> You know, I had good grades. I had like a, a 4.1 GPA. You know, I was doing really good. So I kind of thought, you know, maybe like I had a good shot. But the way that this that this interviewer spoke to me was just not not very convincing. So um, who knows what she wrote in my application, my 2003 yeah. application? That's crazy. Um, like, that's crazy. Uh, what I'm wondering what 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 you've made of that since then what do you think that was about you know what i don't i don't really know but one thing i know for sure is that i would love to get my hands on that 2003 rejection letter and hang it right next to my retirement letter yeah when i yeah you know when i finally retire yeah that's yeah. something that you know every time i think about that time she can say what she will on my on my application but you know i found a way in and yeah. you know and i retired so yeah <laughs> yeah you know oh but that's so tough because at the time you walked away from that interview really internalizing that you had done something wrong and that you're you know you're not good enough somehow to get in so you got rejected that first year so what did you decide to do and why did you decide to keep pursuing it? Like, what was that about for you? I wasn't going to pursue it because I was so, you know, I wasn't feeling all that great about it. Um, but what happened was that after I got that rejection letter, about a month or two later, I get this other letter from a place called the Naval Academy Preparatory School, NAPS. Mm. And, it, and it said, congratulations, you know, you, you've been um, accepted to the Naval Academy Prep School. And I was super confused because I did not apply to the Naval Academy. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and, I, and so I showed it to my parents and they said, they said well, it looks like your, your first year of college is paid for, according to this. You know, we might want to call them and find out what this is about. So we called the phone number to the admissions in, in there, and sure enough, I I had I had um, ex was accepted to NAPS, and they explained that, you know, if you go to NAPS for a year, um, you make it through NAPS, you you go to the academy to the Coast Guard Academy in the next year, and I'm not quite sure if this is really how it worked, but this is how it sounded to me, that I was qualified for that class, they just didn't have enough room but they didn't want to lose us completely. The, the 50 or so Coast Guard um, 2003 applicants that they wanted, I think there were about 50 of us. They wanted, they wanted us, but they didn't have room. So they're going to send us to NAPS so that we can, I guess, um, get smart on the things that we were a little bit deficient on. And then, and then we'd be ready for the Academy the following year. So, I thought, wow, this is, this is kind of like getting in because I thought, well, if I'm, if I'm already, if I'm going through here, 
I sh- it should be no problem to get through the Coast Guard, to get to the Coast Guard Academy, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I thought, well, this is, we'll, we'll take it. Interesting. So it didn't deter you at all that it would be an additional year? No, no. Okay. Because like I said, I, you know, one track mine, right. I, I was all about leaving, you know, jumping, jumping feet first and asking questions later. Um, you know, I just, I, I really wanted to leave Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you got into naps obviously. And, and so you went to naps, that was the decision. Um, so how was that for you? Because we still had this thing up in the air of how you were going to respond to the military. (laughs) (laughs) So now I want to (laughs) know, how did you respond to the military? (laughs) So I, so I went to naps now because I didn't have anybody kind of mentoring me through this or any, anything to read about. I had no idea what I was getting into. The one big shocker to me was that we report to NAPS and the first thing I'm being told I have to do is run a mile and a half. Now I have never ran that far in my entire life. The first oh. time I ran a mile and a half was at NAPS. Oh my goodness. Oh, so how'd and it so, go? <laughs> I, you know, I don't even remember the time. It was horrible. All, all, it was a horrible time. Um, and I w- and and I felt like I was gonna die. Apparently, they, y- you know, they you take your your P- your PFE the first like once when you get there, and then uh, you take it to- at the end of indoc, um, and then you know then you do it every semester or trimester or whatever whatever y- you do over there. But that was the biggest shocker to me because I was like I said, not well versed in military academies, but. You know, I thought I was going to the Coast Guard Academy. So I trained so hard in the water. <laughs> I, I, I swam so hard and I got my times down like to the T in the pool. Yeah. But no one told me I needed to run. Oh my goodness. That is so funny looking back. I mean, I'm sure it was horrible and I, and I apologize, but like, I, I could just hear your, your mind as a teenager being like, yeah, the Coast Guard Academy. I should learn how to swim really well. That makes sense, but it's a military academy, so that's just oh my goodness, what a shock! Yep. What a shock! Yep, and you know, and I and I was the push-ups and the sit-ups I, that was expected, so I worked on those. Um, that's still not easy for me, um, you know, and 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 it was hard because I ended up being you know one of the slowest runners in in my class. Yeah. Um, you know, we were the sand blowers, according mm. to, to some of my classmates, the, yeah. the shorter people who <laughs> could not run very fast, oh. you know, and, yeah. you know, and at NAPS, we had a lot of people that were recruited athletes that, you know, so, so you're, you've got this blend of Navy, Marines and Coast Guard um, and Merchant Marine people who of all walks of life but a good majority of them were recruited athletes you know who you know didn't even break a sweat running a mile and a half yeah um, of course i was confused because i'm like wait you guys all knew about this <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness uh so how did you handle being yelled at and told what to do well so 
I had, I thought, okay, well, this is, this will only last for a couple of weeks, right? Because this is, because it's the boot camp type stuff. So, and I knew that you had to do that for a little while, right? But I didn't realize it would let, you know, I didn't know at the time it would last a whole career. Um, that that's, that there's, you know, there's only so many butt sirs and butt ma'ams you get. And, you know, and there's ranks and rates, right? The higher ranking ones tell the lower ranking ones what to do. It took me a long time to really understand and internalize that. Mm, <laughs> so my yeah. dad was on point. He knew me so well. Oh my goodness. Uh, what a shock. It just seems like the whole thing was such a shock to you. Um, but, but you got through. You got through NAP successfully, correct? And then you got accepted yep, into Coast Guard, right? Yep. And I'd have to say, I, I still credit NAPS to my ability today to kind of talk to the other services. Um, because when I, when I got to NAPS, I didn't know that the Navy guys do things differently. The Marine Corps do things differently. The Coast Guard people do things very differently. And the Merchant Mariners, you know, do things very differently. I had no idea that, there, that within the services, there were, there, there were little lingo and subcultures and just you know different ways of doing things and my first introduction to the military was in that kind of like a joint environment so you know even though it was a shocker to me as you know an 18 year old from chicago today you know i'm so thankful for that because i i'm at home when i'm when i'm talking to people in the navy or in in the marine corps you know i totally get I totally get their their lingo and their mannerisms because that that was what I was exposed to when I first came in. So I guess I you know a joint environment was had imprinted on me. Interesting. In. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so on that note, when you were at NAPS, did it just solidify that you had chosen the right service for you then? I think so. Um, you know, just hearing, you know, hearing the Marine Corps, the Marines run around saying, kill, sir, was just not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite resonate with you and the living no, animals. No. <laughs> I, I felt more at peace with myself running around yelling, save, sir, because that's yeah. what they made the Coasties say. So yeah, that makes I, sense. So it, it felt better to me. And, and, um, and yeah, I, you know, I, as I got to know the other services, I, I realized, I'm like, you know, this is, this is where I want to be. This, this is the service that I want. Yeah. So tell me then, you transition out of NAPS and you go to that first swab summer at the Coast Guard Academy. Um, how did that go for you then, coming off of NAPS? It was so much better. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I wasn't as confused. I knew people because, you know, the, your classmates from NAPS um, also go, you know, go to the academy with you. So I knew, I knew people there. I knew the drill, you know, I, I knew, I knew you had, you know, you have to fold your clothes a certain way. I was more better prepared for the running part of it. Um, I knew, you know, I, I already knew what, what I was not good at and what I, what I was pretty good at. And so for the things that I weren't good at, um, those were things that I worked on in between um, that summer between NAPS and in the academy. And um, you know, when I came in swab summer, it, it was um, 
I guess my goal there was to not draw attention to myself like I did when I was at NAPS. And I, th and I thought I did a pretty good job of that. I, didn't, I was not nearly as picked on as much by the cadre as I was at NAPS. Yeah. Because, because you know, I, I would speak out of turn, um, you know, say or do things that, you know, that, <laughs> that would draw attention to myself. And Swab Summer was not like that. Swab Summer, I blended in and, you know, I was kind of like, okay, this is one big long workout before the semester starts. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that was the attitude that I had. Um, and you know, when, and the other thing that I was told, you know, when I first came in is as a Napster, you, you kind of know the game. So the other thing that you do is you help out the people who are kind of struggling. So there are some classmates that, that I got to walk alongside with and, you know, and we kind of got through Swab Summer together. Yeah. Hmm. So, okay. Well, so tell me, if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? The words pressure cooker come to mind. Mm. What does that mean to you? Because at the Academy, you, you get put into these impossible situations where you have to trade off, you know, one bad thing for another. And, it, and you don't have all day to think about it. You end, up, you end up learning how to make decisions or act very quickly under pressure. And in doing that, you know, you, you, you pick up a few interesting habits, um, mm -hmm. you know, that come in handy later in life. Okay, so, so let's dive a little bit more into your time at the Academy then. One of the things that I learned while I was at NAPS in my swab year was that I hated chemistry. There was nothing about that class that I liked. And, the, and at the Coast Guard Academy, marine science majors took all the chemistry classes. So that was a big no for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, so my, my fourth class year, um, you know, I had, you, you, don't, you don't declare your major until your third class year, but, you know, I, I took that time to think about, okay, well, if I don't want to do chemistry, out of these eight majors that we have, which one sounds the most appealing, right? Because at this point, I was not going to leave after putting in all this effort to, to, to get in here. I'm going to pick one of these eight majors, and I'm going to make it work. So one, the, one major that caught my eye was mechanical engineering. Because I thought that was kind of cool, you know. They, they, the, the mechanical engineers got to tinker with things, and they got, you know, they got to um, build things, which I thought I always thought it was cool. Um, and so I had all the paperwork filled out, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to be a mechanical engineer because that's, you know, that sounds really interesting. And what happened was that I was in my calculus two class. And the teacher at the time, the, the lieutenant that was teaching the class, you know, he, he called me up and he says, hey, it's like, I really think, really think you ought to think about becoming an ops research major. And I said, and I thought, I'm like, I don't even know what that is, <laughs> you know, like, and he says, you're really, you do really great in with math and it's a, it's an applied mathematics major. I think you'd really like it. And I think that you'd be really good at it. You know, and I kind of hemmed and hauled, hauled about it. And, you know, I'm like, well, thanks, sir. But, you know, I think I'm going to go Mecky. And then he looked at me and he says, he, he says, look, 
you sleep in my class every day and you ace all the exams. To be quite honest, to make your life easier here at the academy, you might want to consider majoring in something that you're really good at naturally. And I thought, hmm, he's got a good point. So, um, so he had a good point, and I ended up going ops research once again, not really knowing what it's about, but it felt right. Interesting, right time. He came in at the right time to yeah. give you guidance. So, interesting. Okay, so what was the goal then? Like, if you graduated with that um, with that degree, was the goal then to to just go active duty? What was the what was the tentative plan at least? As I started to get into the major and I started to, to learn more about what ops research and computer analysis was about, I really got excited about it because outside of the military, people were solving amazingly hard problems with ops research. That was so exciting to me because I now saw I can solve hard problems for the Coast Guard while I'm at active duty. And then after when I leave active duty, I can still solve hard problems, mm. you know, whether it's in healthcare, transportation, logistics, you name it. And so I saw the applicability of ops research across a variety of career fields that I started to get really excited about it. So I really clung on to that major and I started to just learn about what an ops research analyst is and what they do. And, you know, I, I was proud, I was proud to be, you know, a math geek at that point. Um, mm. At the time, there were only two women in, in the group. It was a really small major. So there were about 20, 20, 21 of us and wow. two women in, in the major. Crazy. Oh, well, all right. Well, before we dive into what you actually ended up doing, um, let's go back for a second and let's let's talk about some of the major highlights you had while at the academy. What are some of the most memorable highlights for you? One of the best times that I had there were was shooting on the pistol team. I loved every minute of being um, on the pistol team. The shooters that were on there, my coaches were awesome, and that was a sport that I had no idea I was good at. Um, because I, because it, I think a NAPS classmate dared me to try out with her and we did, and mm. we both made the team. And then by like my, my third class year, you know, I'm shooting on the varsity team. Wow. Um, wow. So it, 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 it was so much fun. And the hard part about pistol was that, you know, it's not a very athletic sport, so you still have to pass your PFE. So one, what I did was, because pistol was shot in the winter, I ran cross-country with the cross-country team on, like, their B or C team, like, the, non -comp the non-competing runners. Mm. And, uh, and I just did the cross-country workouts with the cross-country team, um, which is great because it got me off base. Um, I, I improved my mile and a half time you know, and, and, and I stayed in shape. And then, then I was ready to jump back into pistol season, um, you know, when it was ready. And then um, after, after that season was over, I think I continued to, to run and, and work out with the, um, you know, with, with the non-competing cross-country team and did it all over again the next year. So wow. it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that was a big highlight for you. Um, it sounds like you found your groove with the pistol team, especially. Um, 
So what else? What were some other highlights for you? Um, I would hang out with some of the restricted cadets and we would play Mahjong. And Mahjong is a, is a Chinese tile game. Um, you know, it's kind of like gin rummy, but it's a, it's a game that my family and I would play all the time at home. And I brought a set to the academy. I knew that not many people knew how to play, but I figured I could teach them. And I found my, mo my, my most willing audience were the restricted <laughs> cadets. <laughs> so, because they didn't have anywhere to go. Oh my but, goodness! Yeah. So we, so we played. We we played a lot, and and I loved it because, because it was it was a taste of home for me. I got to teach my friends how to play, um, and you know I got to make friends with with some, with, with, with the restricted cadets, and <laughs> some of them are my friends today. So you know, and and we may or may not have had a little, you know, had had a little bit of our cadet money on the table, mm. um, which made it a little bit more fun. But what was funny about that was that the OODs, you know, the, and the ACDO, they had no idea that, that we were, we were, it was a gambling game. If you knew what it was, you would recognize that. And I probably would have ended up on, you know, in the restricted cadet formation had they known, but <sighs> the, you know, to them, it looks like this really weird Chinese game um that oh. we'll just leave these guys alone because <laughs> it because it wasn't poker and it wasn't you know something that that most people recognize yeah i find that so funny that you like you know you hijacked the restricted kids and you were like we're playing, <laughs> we're playing this game <laughs> but that's cool that's awesome um did your parents come and see you at all while you were at the academy they did. They they came out for parents weekend, you know, and they didn't really know a lot about what what we do um, until until my parents got there and saw me in uniform. They saw what, what was going on. And then it was just like endless pictures of everything because <laughs> mm, yeah. they, they'd, they'd never seen this before. So it was like, look, there's an anchor. Can you stand next to that and take a picture? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, it was interesting. When every, every time my parents came up, it was always interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so why don't you tell me some of the the lowlights of your time at the academy? So even though I was pretty good at math, there I did fail a math class, and that was probability theory. With an F in that class, that dragged my GPA down to the to a point where you had to be on academic probation. And if you're on academic probation, you're not traveling with any sports teams. So mm. there goes my, my pistol, um, my pistol trips to the other service academies and to MIT and to all the other places we used to go to. But I found some comfort in knowing that two of my other pistol teammates also failed the same class. Mm. So the coach wasn't happy because he's got three of his best shooters out but at the same time, it was kind of like, okay, we're all in this together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not just me. Yeah. Um, another, you know, I, I was never a victim of, of sexual harassment or, you know, or abuse. But, you know, I'd have to say that I, I wish I could say I didn't know anybody that was, but I did. And I do feel that I could have done something, but I didn't. Um, because, you know, you're, you're kind of afraid because yeah. you know you don't want to get them in trouble you don't want to get 
you know, you don't want to get anybody in trouble and you yourself don't want to get in trouble. So it was one of those decisions that you make at the time. Um, you know, is it, is it worth it? You know, yeah. and looking back, I kind of wish I stepped in when I, when I saw an opportunity to. Yeah. It's so tough when you're that age and you're in survival mode. Um, because you, it, you really, to bring more attention to yourself and, and then all the unknowns that go with reporting someone and then potentially getting labeled a certain way. It's just, uh, it's tough, but, but I, I, but I get it, you know, yeah. wish you could have stepped in. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to share about lowlights at the Academy? So, so I failed the rules of the road exam eight times and I knew that it was a graduation requirement. And by the time I passed, it was, everybody had already gotten their summer assignments. So by the time I passed, I only got to pick what was left. And what was left was um, the Cutter Spar in Alaska. And that turned out to be a huge blessing in disguise because I know not many people wanted to go to Alaska at the time, but you know, I took it because I didn't have any, I didn't have any choice. So, um, but that ended up being a life changing tour because I'd never been to Alaska before. And I absolutely fell in love with the state. Like I loved everything about that summer and I loved it so much that I put it, I, I put any cutter in Alaska as my number one choice. Um, wow. The bill at night. Huh? See that? That's crazy. That's so crazy to me. Cause it's like, here it is, this, this low light, this hardship, yet it led to, it sounds like one of the most memorable experiences you had, had at the Academy. Yeah. Alaska is usually low on the list for, for, you know, for people, but it was number one on my list. And, you know, obviously um, that's how I ended up there for my first tour was because I, I put in for an engineering billet up there. Crazy. Oh my goodness. Ugh. That's I love hearing stories like that because it's, it's all about like trusting the process sometimes, you know, you don't understand why this, why some of these things happen, but man, oh man, um, that's, that's crazy that you, that you fell in love with it so much and you, you probably, you're right. You probably would have never gone there. So, um, so cool. Uh, all right. Well, so, so tell me now, let's dive a little bit into your life post-graduation. So, you know, it sounds like this, this trip to Alaska really had an impact on you and impacted, it gave you a little clarity, it sounds like, on what you wanted to do post-graduation. So tell me how things unfolded for you. So, so I, I basically, Alaska was at the top of my list. Um, and, and I think, and I think that after, after struggling so much with not sci, with nautical science, um, I, I kind of felt like ship driving just wasn't for me, <laughs> you know, it, you, so I did not want, at the time you can only be, um, a deck watch officer or an engineer officer in training. Um, and then only a very few select, um, cadets were going to go directly to, um, directly to a school, um, a aviation school or flight school or, or to a, um, at the time they were called Marine safety offices, I think, but they're now called sectors. Everybody had to go float was, was the name of the game at the time. And so I figured, well, if I'm going to go afloat, I don't like driving ships, but I do like fixing things. Um, 
and it's not and there's some math related to that so i'm going to i'm going to go engineering so i asked for an engineering billet um in alaska and so i landed on the oldest cutter in the fleet um they, it was the stores out of uh kodiak alaska so kodiak is an island in in alaska if you're not familiar with with that and that was where i went first tour how did it go how did you how did you like it so being an engineer on the oldest ship in the coast guard was just so fascinating <laughs> and it was a lot of work when with other with most other ships right things break you order parts and they show up at some point and and it, and everything's good right you, you put it in you fix it you update the logs and all that stuff well source was not quite like that right things would break and then the question was well do the vendors still exist? And if they do, is there anybody alive that knows how this component is built and how it works? Because this, this, our ship was so old. I mean, she saw World War II action. Um, wow. That's how old she was. Oh she my was, goodness. Yeah, she was 64 years old, I think, when, 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 when we got her, when I was on her. So you had to think about things very differently because there were certain things you just did not want breaking ever because the only parts that existed were in the Smithsonian. So, so you had to like do things very differently. And she was a one-off. So we didn't have any other ships in the Coast Guard that was like her. She was the only, she was the only one of its kind. So, so you had to really, you had to really get dirty and get into the details of the systems because you were not going to learn it anywhere else. Mm. So, you know, as a young EOIT, you know, I put on my coveralls and I did, I did all the line drawings. I crawled around in all the bilges. I memorized all the valve numbers for the fire main. Like I did all of that. <laughs> and how <laughs> long were you, how long were you on that ship? Two years. Wow. Okay. Two years. And, and, you know, I, as, as a young junior officer, right, you, you want to start your career right. So I was on a goal to not only did I want to learn the systems on this ship, but I was going to go and get every qual possible, mm. including deck watch officer, because I thought, well, if I'm done with my engineer quals and I've done my boarding officer quals, well, that's the only qual I, I had, you know, I had left. So might as well go for it. <laughs> and I yeah. never got it because we, I didn't have enough um, underway time after you know in the end of two years but i i think i went and set out and got every single qual i could on wow. that ship huh so you were there for two years what did you what did you end up doing after that then so after two years um because of my experience with old ships um i was sent to a unit in baltimore in baltimore maryland um that was on the coast guard yard and our mission was was to figure out how to maintain the service life of our 210s and our 110s and our 270s and um which are our medium endurance cutters and the 110s are patrol boats and it's because they you know we the coast guard just doesn't we we're not like the navy we don't get a new ship you know every six to ten years we kind of make do with the ones that we've got and we try to you know we, we try to squeeze more life out of them. And so this was one of the units that, that did that. And so we, so we were in the business of, of configuration management, um, 
dry dock, you know, managing dry dock projects and, um, and just, you know, overall just trying to figure out how to solve some really big engineering problems on, on the ships. Wow. Wow. So, so were you there then for the rest of your time in the service? So yes, for the rest of my time active duty, I, I was there. Um, I did my five years and then, and then I got out. Um, and I wasn't planning on getting out, but, um, but the reason why I got out was because I got a phone call from, you know, from someone who, wor who worked at a defense contractor, a big defense contractor. And he called me saying that, hey, you know, in this area, we're looking for operations research analysts. He had found me somehow. He knew, he knew kind of roughly what I was, that I was junior officer at the end of my five years um, as an academy graduate. Like he, he knew that I was, I was in one of those because he himself was an Air Force Academy graduate. Wow. So, so, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I don't know if I want to get out, but I'll take this opportunity to go to Nordstrom's and buy myself a suit and practice interviewing because at some point I'm going to have to do this. So I took it as an opportunity to practice, um, you know, looking for my civilian job. And I went to the interview and they asked me very vague questions because the nature of the work was, um, was in, was in the, uh, in, in the classified world. So I, you know, and, and of course I don't know anything at the time. I didn't know anything about that stuff. So I thought, well, maybe they're asking big questions because I'm really not as qualified as they thought I was. So, you know, whatever. Well, next thing I know, I get a paper, you know, a paper offer in the mail um, for, huh. you know, for a salary that you just could not pass over as a, you know, young Lieutenant. And so I, so I was faced with this decision. I'm like, oh man, do I, do I take this job and stay here in Maryland or, or, you know, do I stay in? And, um, and I thought about it, um, really hard and, you know, it, and, and the interesting thing about this decision was that it was the first time I ever, I, I would be making a decision that wasn't trading off one horrible thing for another. Mm. It was a decision to do something that, that I wanted to do. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Yeah. That moment after you get out of the military. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so, so, so I thought, you know, I'm like, Hmm, I'm not at, I will not be at the mercy of the detail, you know, the detailers on telling me where I'm going and what, and what job I'm going to be doing. I get to take this job and, do something that I, that I actually went to school for, which was operations research. Yeah. So, so I, so I accepted the offer and um, I accepted the offer and I ended up, you know, getting a house here in Maryland and I've stayed since then. Wow. So how long did you work for that company? I worked for them for about eight years. Okay. And, and then, because you said at the beginning that you started your own uh, company, right? I did. I did. And so I worked, I, I worked for that company for eight years. Um, I'm very thankful for the experience and the people that I've met there. Um, but I was starting, but you know, going, this goes back to what my dad says, right? You don't like people telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so, and, and that became apparent to me as I was trying to, trying to, um, promote and grow, you know, and, and take care of my people on my, on my team with this company. You know, I had these company policies that I had to follow. Um, I really didn't have a say in, in, you know, in, in what we pay them and how, and how they're compensated and how, you know, and how, and how to do their performance reviews because, you know, big companies have big policies that, that you have to follow. And so, so, you know, I wasn't, I had thought about the idea of starting my own company and I, and, and I want to say in 2014, I took a class called Project Opportunity here in Maryland, where it was small business 101 for, for veterans. And so, you know, while I was working for them at night, I would take these classes and, and I thought, hmm, what is this like? You know, what, 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 um, you know, what, what does owning and running your company, what, what is it, what does it smell like? And so I, I took, the, it was a 10 week course and I, and I took it and I realized this is not for me. I didn't, I, 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 I don't like selling. I don't like, I don't like talking about myself. Um, I don't like promoting. I don't like any of that stuff. Right. I like, you know, I like crunching numbers. I like digging through, you know, digging through data and, and, you know, I like doing that stuff, but I, you know, and I like, and I like training people and I like taking care of people. But when you have a business at some point, some money has to come in and there has to be some, there has to be somebody performing that function. And I realized that that, that was not for me. So in 2014, I realized, okay, I've learned about what it takes and I, and it's not for me. So I kind of like shelved the idea for a while and I went back to doing what I was doing with, you know, with, 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 um, the company that I was working with. And in that time, um, I was working with someone who, um, who had worked, worked with me at, at the large company, but she herself went and started working for another small company. And, um, and we, and for about, I, I want, I want to say for about, five out of the eight years that I was there um, at this company, her and I had worked together on and off. And, and one day we just decided, we, we looked around and we we're like, you know, if we ran the show, we would be servicing our customers much differently. Mm. And, that, and at that point I realized I had just found my co-founder. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's because awesome. she was good at all of the things that I was not good at. Yeah. And I was good at all the things that she did not want to do. Yeah, but it's smart. That's so smart because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when you have your own business, like you have to do all of it. So finding that good complement is key to success. So that's, that's awesome that you just like it clicked for you. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and so we, t during that time, we took about, you know, we, we were both working for our respective companies for, you know, for a good year or so before we, we officially, um, you know, turned in our notices and, and yeah. started working for ourselves. Um, and that, and that was when, you know, you, you, you do the math and you figure out, well, what's your break even. And, um, and when we realized that, that, Hey, we can, you know, we can support ourselves. Well, that's that's when we both took the plunge and um that yeah. was in 2016 
And that's um, what you're doing today with that company. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Amazing. That's amazing. Your life. Um, it's just crazy. Like from getting that random letter in the mail and, and then getting like, you know, a job offer in the mail and, and it's just going to Alaska because you failed, you failed that, uh, that exam eight times. It's just, I love all the, all the threads that weave together to get you to where you are today. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, the, the, the other funny thing about starting a business is that I, I highly recommend not doing this while you're in the middle of Naval War College and, um, and having a baby at the same time. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I don't recommend that. Um, if you mm -hmm. can avoid it, but that was, that was quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. And you are actually still in the reserves as well, correct? Yes. Yes, okay. I am. Okay. So, so then what's next for you? So you have a baby, which your baby is now how old? He's two. Oh my goodness. Oh, so he's still little. So you have a two-year-old. Uh, you have your own business. Yep. Um, so what's next? You know, I, I am just so blessed to have what I have right now. Um, I'd love to have more children if that's, if, if that's in the cards. Um, you know, and obviously I, I, I want to see my, my business, um, grow and, you know, and, um, become the company that I envisioned it to, to become. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that, that's kind of where, that's kind of where we're at right now. And, and um, just, just give like, what, what exactly does the company do? So we're, we're a defense contractor. We do systems engineering and analytics. Um, basically, we help, we help our customers walk the fine line between accountability and innovation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I am definitely excited because it's still, it's still a pretty new company. It's only a few years old. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see how that grows for you. Uh, yeah. And if I'm doing the math in my head pretty correctly here um yeah it sounds like you started that company right when you had your baby so <laughs> a little bit before but yeah that's intense oh my goodness um all right so before we go jen um can you uh do you have any parting words for listeners perhaps a key message to your fellow service academy sisters i guess my my biggest my big key message is listen to yourself listen to to what others have to say and and when i mean listen i mean truly listen as in stop talking <laughs> um because because that because i i don't think you know looking looking back at some of the things in my career you know the lieutenant that told me about ops research right had i not truly listened to him i would not have been where where i was with mm. with that major mm -hmm. I wouldn't have given it a chance you know some of my classmates during during that time when when they were saying that things were wrong or something was not right you know like I said there were there were times where I looking back I wish I would have listened more mm. um you know because because things some 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 of my classmates did not end up being classmates anymore they 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 were kicked out or or they voluntarily left. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder if I could do if, if I could do more, if I could have done more. Yeah. Um, little survival guilt there. 
interesting. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, you're saying, listen, and it's like, uh, I think about how that interplays with how you don't like to be told what to do. Um, but it, it's, it's true. When you listen to your story, it's like, while you don't like to be told what to do, you, you do listen when people right. tell you things. So that's just right. really interesting. Huh? Right. Uh. Yeah. And, 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 you know, while I don't like being told the how the perspectives are very much welcomed. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, th and I think that I, th I think we as, as women, you know, in the service, I think, I think that that's one thing that we, we can definitely help with, right. Is, is, yeah. is listen and help and, and bring and listen to those different perspectives. Yeah. Um, that you didn't even know were there. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully stated and very true. <laughs> um, so how do you currently feel about your decision to attend the United States Coast Guard Academy, Jen? I'm glad I did it. As, as haphazard as it was when I came in, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm so glad I did it. Um, it, definitely, it definitely changed my life. I would still probably be home in Chicago today if, it, if I had not taken that, that bold step of stepping into this world, you know, this, this military world that I knew nothing about. Yeah. Um, even though I didn't know anything about it, I, I was all in. You listened. For the best. You listened to that recruiter. You did. <laughs> you yeah. listened to what he had to say. I love it. I just love how everything came full circle for you. Um, it's just awesome. Well, all right. Before we go, what's one random fun fact about you, Jen? Well, I guess uh, random fun fact, I am a licensed amateur radio operator. My call sign is N9LRM, if there are <laughs> any amateur radio operators out there. Um, That's awesome. I don't, yeah, I don't currently have a station up and running, um, but, I, but I have been licensed since I was nine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I learned Morse code and antenna theory when I was nine with my dad and um, I took the test and I passed and it, it's just one of those things that I, you know, I, I keep renewing my license every year because it, you know, it's kind of cool. That um, is really cool. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. All right. And where can people reach you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you've got, I've got a, a Twitter handle and, uh, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, probably best way to to reach me. Okay. And I will include all of those links in the show notes for people. Um, and that's it, Jen. I really appreciate you sharing your story with the rest of the Service Academy sorority. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.